Presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. We are on the air with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine. The other guy being David Hutchison. We'll explain that in just a little bit. And the star of the show, Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard. Glad to have you with us here. Uh, we are from the Vancouver Island, uh, the city of Las Vegas, and the city of Edmonton. We are all around the world today as uh, we come to you and gather for this great position and this great sport of hockey. And uh, the travels of Kevin Woodley are very interesting. You are in Edmonton for a family function, but you're just back from Montreal as well. A visit to the CCM factory. What did you learn? Uh, yeah, I got uh, got to tag along for the CCM Goalie Summit. Uh, they have, I guess I was going to say, that something they've started to do every year, but COVID obviously got in the way for the past couple. Um, our friend Eli Wilson there doing some presentations. Ian Clark, goaltending can- uh, coach of the Vancouver Canucks, was there doing some presentations. Uh, and the entire CCM team, not just the goalie department, but brought in the stick people, brought in the skate people, uh, showed us where they were in terms of product development, showed us a lot of the te- the um, sort of testing that they'd done. Uh, Ryan Frain from Dalhousie University, who the professor in biomechanics who has, has sort of led and and done a lot of the research with them, made some presentations. And then it, I mean, the most fascinating part was beyond the presentations, that just bled into discussions um, about where the position's at, where the game is at, and how equipment, whether it's CCM and, and what they're doing, where just broader strokes where the game is going, can help goaltenders get better. Like, what's the next step? What's the, the next focus of development? So kind of cool to be a part of that. Kind of cool to see behind the scenes on all the R&D that goes into um, their lines as they continue to evolve. Obviously. While we were there, the Access 2 customizer launched. Uh, our Access 2 review of the pads and gloves is live online at ingolmag.com. I guess it's more of an overview. Hey, Hutch, we haven't, we didn't really include a lot of tester feedback. We're still in that process, but we wanted, because of course, once a customizer is live, you can buy the gear, right? So we wanted people to know just what was different, what's changed, what's evolved, and why, like some of the research behind it and how it's going to manifest itself in your game before people order it. So make sure you check that out, ingolmag.com. Um, full review of the Axis or overview of the Axis 2, and we'll follow that up when it launches completely at retail in early June by adding a few more voices and a little more feedback to sort of go from how it's supposed to perform to how we feel it's performing. So it's been a fun process, and it was a cool trip. Our gear segment today with uh, Cam Atwiv over at the Hockey Shop, the source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. We'll also deal with the Access 2 lines or audio version of that. So looking forward to it. I'm a, I'm a I don't know, initial Access user, uh, the original, the OG uh, of the You're Access You're an OG? Line. Yeah, I'm an OG. Uh, and uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how they've changed things up uh, with this. Uh, but well, well, Woody's off uh, traveling the world. Uh, Hutch has been keeping track of the Stanley Cup playoffs and what's happened there. And boy, you need a long piece of paper to write down the trials and tribulations and success stories of the first round and a bit. I think you're being really generous to say that I got left behind to look after the Stanley Cup playoffs because I'm pretty sure Woody and Eli and Clarkie and Ryan and several other people were sitting in the lobby bar at the hotel watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. I got left behind to do all the tech and do up the access to review online for everybody because it launched while Kevin was in Montreal. So he got to have a lot of fun. I might have watched a little bit of playoff hockey though, Darren. But you're the important one. 
Yeah, he, somebody had to mind the store was while well, I was off eating smoked meat poutine. Exactly. He's the responsible one. He's our, he's our, he's our <laughs> dad. Uh, I, but, but Hutch, seriously, how would, how would you sum up what, what we've witnessed so far? Oh, isn't it a real mixed bag? I mean, it was something we were talking about a little bit last yeah. week, how the, the performances seem to be all over the place. We're seeing some dominant performances, guys doing exactly what they expect them to do in the playoffs. Um, Shesterkin probably struggled a little bit in the beginning of that one series and then came back a little bit and was a big part of that finishing up. We got Auntie Ranta coming up with a shutout the other night, and then we got some Edmonton-Calgary hockey that looks like it's 1970s Battle of Alberta classic uh, offense. Um, I, I don't know what to make of any of it, We've it, but I can tell you it's a whole heck of a lot of fun because it's giving us the opportunity to see some some brilliant performances, and and I guess um, for all the the Twitter fiends, they can analyze the goaltending to their heart's content as well. Is there a best goalie so far, Woody? Well, it's still Jake Ottinger, even though yeah. he's not in the playoffs anymore. Like what he what he did in that first round, it's going to take. You know, I actually, I frankly, I I'm I'm not sure anybody catches him. The guy was almost twelve game or twelve goals above expected in that seven game series against the Calgary flames. I'm not sure. Like maybe Auntie Ranta gets there at the rate he's going. Jordan Bennington after taking over for Billy Huso is pushing up, you know, or he's got a shot, but like, it's quite possible that Jake Ottinger will end the playoffs with more goals saved um, than anybody else, including whoever lifts the Stanley cup. Like that's how incredible his performance was in the first round against the flames. But you're Can right. I just say someone, there's a yeah. new category. There's a new category that you've got goals saved above expectation uh i've got games saved above expectation well they do have stolen games right woody yeah and he yeah and he stole all the all of their wins oh, that's yeah, for yeah. sure wow so so ottinger's not playing so who's who's left honestly right now it's uh you know in terms of who's having the best playoffs to date like if we were to pause this right now on saturday may 21st um behind jake ottinger is auntie ranta and Jordan Bennington, like I said, like Bennington, Benner, since he came on in that series. Now, one of the things that also changed in that series at the same time that Bennington came on is it sounds like Craig Berube had a little come to Jesus moment with his team about the way they've been playing defensively or not playing defensively all season. And frankly, all season, they were not a good defensive team. That's that is a team that still has that type and that style of play in their DNA from their cup win and enough players left over from it that you know they know how to defend. They just haven't all year. They did not for Vili Huso in the first three uh, games of that opening round series. His expected save percentage was 872 in those three games. Since Bennington came on, his is 903. That's a 31-point difference. Um, Huso wasn't actually that bad relative the, to the horse poop environment he was playing behind. Bennington's been just that much better behind an even uh, more structured, more controlled environment. And, you know, finally, to be honest, for the first time, maybe since they won the cup, they look like the Blues defensively. And Jordan Bennington, not since the first time since they won the cup, because he's played well throughout, just that everything in front of him is what's changed. And so I'm not surprised that he's had this bounce back. Um, and he's worked his way up those ranks to the point, like I said, like it's him and Auntie Ranta at the top of the goaltending chart right now. The impressive part, uh, to me, Hutch, is Igor Shesterkin and Andre Vasilevsky look like they're getting better with each game. So that's that's fun to watch. Even though Shesterkin's down right now, uh, Vasilevsky's up, but they've, they've both been incredible. Yeah, for sure. The, this round has been amazing. Um, I think 
FASA is probably just like it's taken Tampa a little while during the season to warm up and get ready for that third run of the cup. It's uh, taken him a little time to get warmed up going into the second round, but he's, he's on a heater now. And, and Shesterkin, I mean, look, this is, isn't this really his first big run at the playoffs? So it's going to take him a little while to adjust to what's in front of him. And, and like an elite athlete, he's, he's making those adjustments now. I think Binner guys is just a really great example for, we got a lot of moms and dads and sons and daughters listening to this podcast on the way to the rink, even in the summer for training. I think Binner's a brilliant example for uh, all the young goaltenders out there because what could have happened this season, right? He effectively lost the starters role or the bulk of the starts to Ville Huso and, and uh, he could have pouted. He could have not accepted that role well, and it could have taken the season South for the whole team, but instead he stayed ready. He took advantage of the opportunities he did get during the season. And as Kevin said, he, he did play well relative to the environment in front of him, just maybe not as well as Huso was. And, and now he gets that opportunity in the playoffs and he, he makes a run. So I think that's just a great lesson for everybody out there. We often talk about how do you um, perform in that backup role, or if you're not getting the number of starts that you think you deserve, um, how are you going to handle it? And this is a great example of why you've got to handle it like a pro. Well, on Binner, I think this is a guy that, uh, like, doesn't it feel sometimes? And I, and I think sometimes when we see some of the antics and the you want to go stuff, like, he's a guy that's better with a chip on his shoulder. And I think sometimes when he gets into that stuff, it's to try and create a bit of that chip. Um, back to Vasilevsky. Like, here's the interesting thing. And I think we forget this because he's got two Stanley Cup championships. His name's on the cup twice right now. But first round stumbles are not out of the ordinary for him. Uh, we all know three years ago before their first cup, they lost in the first round and he looked very average. But if you flat, flash back to the last two seasons, the first rounds were not like he was a guy that got better both times. Um, I still say to this day, they don't get past Florida in the first round last year. If the Panthers don't decide to try and drag that series into the alley and turn it into a power play contest. So um, it's, you know, this has kind of been his MO, a little bit of a slow starter in the playoffs, but he gets going and, and for everyone else, I think that's a bit of a, a scary thing to consider, um, you know, when 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 we think of him just continuing to get better at the playoffs go on. It's certainly scary right now for the Florida Panthers and um, maybe a chance we get to see some history here. And and, and this, I guess, would we call it a dynasty? Three straight, I think we'd have to in this era. Oh, yeah. Especially in this era. Uh, a couple of uh, championship goalies uh, there in Andre Vasilevsky and Jordan Bennington. If I have a team that's underperforming at any point in the next five years, uh, I'm calling Jordan Bennington because he is the revivalist. Uh, he can just uh, pull you out of any type of uh, woes that you're going through. What What about calling them this summer? Like, yeah. I mean, th- like, let's be honest here, guys. Like, yeah, as much as point. we don't want to look look too far ahead, like, Huso's an unrestricted free agent. If they want to bring him back, and given how the year went, even though it's been in the playoffs, would they consider that? So, I think that's going to be a fascinating dialogue around him this summer. I'm with you, Darren, even in the midst of all the screaming about his performances in, in, you know, around December, I looked at the numbers and they did dip as the season went on and, and his starts got infrequent and he, you know, that's, that's a role he wasn't used to. Um, but right through when he was playing, like he was, he was 12th in the league and people were screaming about his numbers. I just, it, at the end of the day, it, no matter how you slice it, it just wasn't a very good defensive team. Now that they found the structure, he looks like the better of old. It's unbelievable. He lost his starting job to Huso, didn't begin the playoffs. He was the backup on that side. And his numbers were historically bad in the playoffs since winning the Stanley Cup. 0 for 9, 0 for his last 9 decisions. And he comes in and he turns their playoffs around. 
that is a guy who can flip a switch. I'm so impressed. Who does that sound like? And 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 outside of the 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 lack of playoff success, but like, are we having visions of Philip Grubauer starting in in 2018 ahead of Braden Holpe and Holpe getting in there and taking over? Yeah. Like, are, are we starting to have that that type of? Th- and then listen, we're saying this: the Colorado Avalanche, more than any other team in the National Hockey League, could submarine his numbers in one game, like right. much like much like the Calgary Flames and and Edmonton Oilers did to both goaltenders in the first game of their series. Well, I still have Mike Smith as the comeback player of the year based on how he responded in in the game twos against Los Angeles and then Calgary. That was impressive. I'm, I'm going to put the game ones out of reach right now, Hutch. But uh, the way he he answered back with all the noise around him, I, you, you need to be 40 plus to, to be able to handle that. Well, I don't, don't even think you put the game ones out of reach because they speak to the same thing, don't they? I mean, the fact that you can come back over those game after those game yeah. ones and and put it in a performance and talk about mental fortitude. I mean, you've got the whole world screaming at you over on social media, and then a couple of goals go in early, and uh, you can expect a goaltender who is maybe 22, 23 can't handle those couple of early goals with all the history um, the way he has. I think all those years of experience and an incredible self-confidence have enabled him to get through some tricky times Again, lesson for the kids out there, right? Just the couple goals doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't mean there's five more coming. Um, there's going to be a couple at some time during the game, and it's just your job to shut her down and and keep your head up so that you can perform. And Mike Smith absolutely has done that. It's uh, it's an interesting battle going on there in Calgary, though, isn't it, Woody? Yeah. Well, it's going to shift now here to Edmonton, where I am. So uh, just in time for you to get out sure. of town. Well, we might we might be able to sneak in uh, sneak in one of these games here before we disappear. So, uh, but how about the apple on the Dreisaitl breakaway for Smitty? The, oh, the quick backhand, yeah. one-handed rim up the boards from behind the net turns into and a, a hard at the hard end. backhand. Like oh it was yeah, pace. Yeah, and there was purpose behind it, and uh, I mean, so that was fun. You know, it's funny because you talk about all the noise around him on social media after the first game of each series. I, I think that's water off a duck's back, not just because he's forty but because he's gone through it all season in this market guys like but that I, like would crush I do radio a lot of guys i mean oh yeah but i do radio i do radio in edmonton market on a weekly basis they were ready for just give us miko koskinen give us stuart skinner get this guy out of here at multiple points this season he was one of the nhl three stars in april and after the first game in the playoffs they wanted him out he gets them through the first round stubs his toe and gets pulled early in in the first game against Calgary. And oh, by the way, the Oilers, who couldn't check a coat in that game, had an expected goals against of almost seven. The highest one in the playoffs. Like, they gave up tons. No presence in front of their own net. Poor decisions through the neutral zone. They were terrible defensively in that game. It's almost like, you know, they, they, played, the, they played the Kings and they thought, oh, we're playing really well defensively as opposed to, yeah, we're playing okay and the Kings can't score. Um... I was in the car the next morning in Edmonton here because I'm here for one of my daughter's uh, sporting events, and I had sports talk radio on. And the the conversations in Edmonton were not, do we start Mike Smith for game two or Miko Koskinen? The conversations, I kid you not, were, is it time to get Stuart Skinner in the net game two of the second round of the playoffs? That's how... That's how reactive the market was to that game one so good for smitty on bouncing back in game two i love sports talk radio that's why coaches don't listen to sports talk radio 
Not because they would listen to sports talk radio and go with that advice, but because their cars would be wrecked because they'd be banging on the uh, on the on the car radio. I love I, I love Stuart Skinner, but the right choice was uh, was to take a deep breath. Uh, the uh, the two goaltenders that we've talked about here, Mike Smith and Jordan Bennington, very different Hutch in how they've handled this. In the sense of Smith has incredible self confidence, self belief, and that's the way he's channeled this. He's shut out the noise. And Jordan's got this chip on his shoulder where he uses it as a rallying point. So uh, a little bit different approach, but you're getting the same result. Uh, maybe different externally. I, yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily different internally. I mean, you said it yourself, an incredible self-confidence. I, I think Binner's got an incredible self-confidence. We've seen that through his whole career. Right from, you know, denying the move to the coast to... to Get, getting his chance in the National Hockey League after so long when so many would have given up. I mean, he's believed in himself since day one, and he's ridden that to a, a fantastic career now. So I think it's the same thing. Um, does Smitty have a chip on his shoulder? I don't know. I don't know. but uh, It's a different kind of chip. Yeah, it comes so. out yeah. in a different way. I but think I, so. I think that's a fair statement as well. We have the uh, World Championships that are happening right now. Uh, we will go uh, there in Finland. Uh, we'll go to Sweden for a little catch-up with uh, Mesh Svo, uh, the goalie coach uh, for Farjestad, who just won the Swedish Elite League title. He's also uh, working with the Detroit Red Wings. He's their European uh, goalie consultant. Uh, that is our Sense Arena feature interview coming up. Uh, we also have our gear segment uh, dealing with the Access 2 line, which is... Uh, come out and it, it you've you guys have both had a look at it uh, give me your first blush uh look at uh, at this as we before we visit the hockey shop one of the things that stands out for me well first off darren kevin mentioned the the overview i mean he worked his tail off i i joked that i got left behind to put it up on the site but kevin put in some long hours to uh, get that together and there's just been a little bit of conversation around uh social on the access too but i haven't really seen anything that comes close to what we're only calling an overview if you really want to see what's in the access Two line get over to ingolmag.com there's photos there's a little bit of video you can really see what those new features are and you have to see them to really get it i mean i would say are these the biggest changes we've seen in a line i probably within a line it might be as big a change as we've ever mm. seen uh from anybody certainly when bauer you know, introduced the Odin. That was a massive change for them. But within a line, as it evolves, this is this is more revolution than evolution. Um, in wow, that's saying no. Something. I think so. Now, for sure, let, let let's be straight up. They're responding to some things that have happened in other companies as well. But they're massive changes. Uh, the glove itself is is definitely revolutionary, and it's not responding to anything anybody else does. Um, what we've seen in there is, I mean, the finger stalls removed from a, a goaltending glove. That's never happened before. Uh, this foam in there that molds to your fingers never happened before. They've completely changed the break in the glove, not the angle of it, but the way that it works so that there's much more protection in the glove than you've ever had. You've got this opportunity to hold it uh, in multiple different ways, depending on how you want your hand to fit in the glove. It's a, it's a huge change. And then, you know, on the side of the pads, the the knee has completely changed for, for the axis. So now we've got a pad that's stiffened up. We've got a knee and an inside of the pad that is stiffened up so that you get on the ice, you can just hear these things hammer to the ice as they're getting down fast and they're sealing up fast. I noticed the shots off the blocker were 
were making a noise like I've never heard before as well. It's just a huge trampoline off that thing as the pucks are hammering against it. The lightest blocker CCM's ever produced. Much better feel on the stick as you're working with that blocker as well because of the way they've they've dealt with the palm in in the blocker as well. So yeah, massive changes in the line. And I just think it's super exciting, Woody. Well, I think we've seen some changes from Bauer. Like it's probably been steps within their Supreme line that you would similar type of radical uh, changes. But I think fair to say this is for sure the biggest changes we've seen at CCM in their product for over 20 years. And part of that is not to take it back to the sort of splitting of CCM and Lefebvre, but once that split occurred, their goaltending team was able to tear things apart and think, do we rebuild everything from scratch? And obviously there's elements still of of the original sort of thought process and the way pads are designed, but the, the internals on the glove are totally different. Um, we've always seen sort of the, the CCM glove um, when it was being made by Lefebvre and then continuing for a couple generations, sort of have that wide, almost one inch wide break channel through the palm uh, it was like two it was like two popsicle sticks running through your palm. But also, we even had a segment with Cam where he showed you how to fix that break uh, if it if it wasn't closing properly by using a puck to sort of hammer it back into shape. Like the way they rebuilt the internals allows them to have a much thinner, much cleaner, probably the cleanest closing glove we've seen from CCM with the break that they've redesigned. And by narrowing that break, does take a little longer to break in the early generations uh, or, the, or the early samples that we've had have taken a little longer to break in. But once they're there, the closure is, is, is better than anything we've had from them before. And by narrowing that break, you've removed the chance of any stingers and, and been able to improve the protection and the padding. So um, I think this is just the first chance we've seen for CCM to kind of reinvent the wheel. It's the first time they've been able to sort of tear things apart. You mentioned you know, the glove and the blocker being their lightest yet. And most people probably don't, you know, what's the big deal. But when you don't change how you're building it from the inside out, it's hard that you're just cutting weight, which means you're cutting material. This is a total rebuild that allows them to make changes without having to just trim away at the edges, so to speak. And compared to other brands, those gloves had started to feel noticeably heavier on the wall. And so now they're competitive with the innovations that everyone else is making. So big, bold step for CCM. Um, we probably just gave away too much. I think we should go back to Cam and uh, remind people that we've got the full review of CCM online as well as on our YouTube channel in our gear segment this week. This is definitely one you should go watch in addition to listening to from Cam at the Hockey Shop. Boy, if you weren't excited about the Hockey Shop and getting over there before, like Woody... They, they have everything over there, including this Access 2 line. They do, and uh, it's not just the Access 2. Um, as much as Access 2 has launched on Tuesday, I believe Bauer Mock launched on Friday, or at least the customizer. And you know, we've said this many times before, folks. Once that customizer is live, so are custom orders. So even if not all of these models are in store, Cam has samples. You can go in and check it out. If you have questions about the lines, you can call Cam. Um, if you want to submit a custom order, he can help walk you through that process and all the features. Uh, we talked about CCM. Make sure you check out the review. There's two different levels of custom. There's Total Custom and Total Custom Pro now for them. Um, it's an exciting time of year at the hockey shop. All this new stuff is finally arriving, finally on sale. Uh, we did the Warrior Gear uh, a couple of weeks back, the G6. Like All of this stuff is there. Um, it's arriving daily, new, new shipments, new supplies, whether you want to 
buy it and take it out or just check it out and then do a custom order, the best place to do it is the hockey shop if you can get there in person in the lower mainland in Vancouver. But even if you can't, uh, check them out at thehockeyshop.com and make sure you hit up Cam and his entire goaltending staff. They all stop pucks. Uh, there's nobody down there in the goalie department that doesn't play the position and love the position, and they can all help you get better and choose the right gear to get better at stopping pucks yourself. It is a triple XL edition of the gear segment brought to you by the Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, featuring the Access 2 line. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia, surrounded by all the latest and greatest in gear, including, once again, time to show off new stuff. It's that time of year. My, It's like Christmas in May. CCM, Axis 2. Lots of exciting new features on this line, Cam. I say we start with the pad, start with the knee, start with the changes, turn that thing around. Oh. Let's look at that. You're just lucky I slapped you in the knee pad. Let's have a look. Okay, so that's one of the biggest features and we call it out right here. So CCM's version of an integrated knee in terms of first stability and overall playability. I mean, we've seen Bauer, we've talked about Bauer. We know how much of an upgrade that has been. Now, CCM has created their own version of it, unique to their pad, um, to create that stability. So Kevin's going to about to Velcro right now. We can get a bit of a closer look at what that actually looks like. You can just see how it's based on integrating that inside edge with the face of that the That outer knee plate into the actual core of the pad itself. And what you'll notice is there is a little bit of flex here. Now, when you put it all back together, it becomes a little less. But the idea is you want some mobility, some flex. I guess if we're making a Bauer equivalent, we'd be calling it the um, Stabila Flex as opposed right. to the Stabila Slide. So there is a little bit of there. And of course, why do we have this? CCM led that research, right? Like that the knee drive is what gets the pad to the ice the fastest. And if your knee drive, actually all it does is drive the knee flap down or the knee landing gear um, down before driving the pad down. We've actually got photos of it with NHL goalies from years past where you can actually see their knees hit the ice and the pad's still off the ice. In this case, it's going to get down to the ice faster. As a matter of fact, if you do it upright, you can actually get the pad to the ice before your knee hits. So Correct. Uh, all stuff we've covered in the past and something that this new Axis 2 pad really focuses on optimizing. Correct, so again, we're looking at that solid seal when it hits the ice. And I've had these on the ice, when they hit it, it reminds me sort of the first time in Bauer, it's like that. It really slams down and you can really feel that seal. Exactly, so when we look at the overall structure of the pad and everything else, we still see a lot of similarities back to the original Axis 1, which is good because the overall premise of the pad, the core of the pad, they were all on point with it. It was just now upgrading this knee was kind of the biggest feature. So when we move to the back, we do see an update in their quick motion strapping. In terms of how it wraps around, we do have a bit more wrap to it all the way around the calf itself. We lose a little bit of the adjustability that they did have before. So it does create a little bit of a tighter fit. Um, that said, in terms of for rotation uh, and feel wise so far, because it's a little bit of a more of an open style leg channel, you still get all that rotation, that freedom of moment, uh, movement that you were looking for kind of out of that pad, for sure. Knee strap, you, you saw it when I had the knee opened up. It's actually anchored at two points. DRS Pro is their new system. There's adjustability here if you want to make it longer. It's got a little, it's, you know, the double elastic that CCM started years ago. Nice, like, it's not quite a completely fixed end point um, because there is a little flex to it, but 
sturdy enough that you're not sliding off of this knee block, even if you're an oversized knee, especially if you've got this connect. I mean, this connects you to the pad to the point where that's unlikely anyways. But I like the fact, I like the way they've got the adjustability on two sides down here. And I like the sturdiness of this uh, one step short of a set of a straight nylon, a little flex, but not too much. So overall flex point of the pad itself, once again, something that is customizable depending on your own liking, but it is a stiff pad. That's what it's designed. Soft boot. It's got a soft, flexible boot. And as much as you would say, and I apologize for jumping in on you here, but we've had them on the ice for a while, so we got a little bit of feedback on these already. As much as you say this is a continuation of Axis One, I would actually say in terms of stiffness up through the thigh rise, it is significantly stiffer. Axis One looked the same, flat face, same flex down on the bottom, but it was... It was a pad that got pretty soft and flexible at the top pretty quick. This one is a lot more rigid, a lot more. You see the pre-curve on it, but it's a lot stiffer within that pre-curve shape. Correct. So we kind of covered most of it. A um, couple other key features. Speed skin obviously makes its return all the way throughout the pad. Again, customizable in terms of what material you would like to use. You see Kevin opening up the actual calf plate itself, just to get a better view. Just a little bit of a calf wedge and a little more support on the calf, not too thick to the point where it disrupts your ability to get that skate to the ice, um, but just a little bit of extra support when you're down in the butterfly, a little bit of extra cushion. Again, continue to help with that, you know, making sure that pad stays flush. I love that sound. We need to have like a little sound bite of that. Just, yes. It's like goalie music to the ears right there. That and like the sound of the post. And I kid you not, like when the first time I had it on the ice, I actually had shooters who were like, holy, like what's that, like, what's that noise? They're not used to me being able to actually get to the ice with any authority, so I fake it now because I got this. So, moving away from the pads. Kevin's Do we have to? Because I really kind of like these pads. I know they're awesome. I know they're sweet, but we got to talk about everything else. Well, I think we do need to talk about one other feature on the pads that we don't, we can't actually show off here. You're going to have to check out the CCM Customizer, which launches on Tuesday, May 17th. There is an asymmetrical graphic mm -hmm. available. We've got ours coming as well as our demo set where you can actually have the graphics sort of, rather than being that sort of mirrored symmetrical design where you can actually have the pattern come sweeping across the face of the two pads and matching gloves as well. So that's something to keep an eye out for on their customizer. Okay, now I'm ready to move on. Well, now I'm not because you opened up another can of words with regards to graphics. So yes, you do have any graphics options that way, but also you will see total custom graphics coming very, very soon. Um, along with the launch of the Axis pads themselves, they will be launching their custom graphic program, which we will see and send out more details. It will be its own separate video when it's ready to rock and roll, so we'll check that out. But uh, something to stay tuned for and get excited for. Just yeah, you mentioned graphics, we had to we had to come. Yeah, out we've as well. seen. I mean, we've seen some beauties like David Riddick at the uh, outdoor game with the the guitars on them. Um, we saw Pekka Rene on his retirement night get a tribute. Demco. Uh, Demco with the with obviously the uh, Kirk McLean tribute and even his own uh, graphic and yeah just a custom graphic for a little while on there so yeah that will be available to the public for the first time the All Out Pro custom graphics um, now are we ready to move yes. on yes yes okay let's start with the block first CCM's lightest weight blocker to date first time in a long time where they've been able to sort of go back to the drawing board on the blocker and glove and redo things sort of from the start. As much as there's a lot of familiarity and Correct. feel in this, they kind of went back to the starting board in terms of how it's constructed. I think that's really a key point too. It's like you are still going to get that level of familiarity if you were a big fan of CCM blockers. But again, the biggest thing that I noticed by putting this on right away was weight and freedom at the cuff. As you can see, a lot more material has been cut out. Again, that contact point really becomes right at the wrist itself. 
It really allows you to present that blocker forward and get good supreme mobility out of the blocker itself. Yeah, it, it's got nice mobility. You can open it up, or if you want it a little tighter, you can close it down. There's a couple of different ways you can set this up. Uh, pillow's been moved inside, uh, alongside the thumb, as opposed to being attached to the outer board. Again, the palm, less material in the palm is a trend we've seen now for, I guess, a couple generations out of CCM. More like a player glove. The idea being less material just gives you better feel, and we've certainly noticed it. Got the pre-curved finger protection. Um, so a lot of features that you are used to on a CCM blocker, just a little bit more mobility. And as you mentioned right away, you notice the lightweight. Gosh, glove time, because this one's got some big changes. All right, we have the CCM new. Give it to me, give it to me. New 591 brake glove. So what's different? Why is it called the 591? So first of all, opening up the backhand of the glove. I, was so much fun. I know you were. So the trend, no wrist strap. We've seen this on a couple of gloves already that we've kind of talked about earlier on in the series and whatnot. Now, open style of a wrist, more of that strap right along the backhand of itself to really hold your hand deep inside the glove. Got adjustment points down here. Correct. As well as the, the strap that comes across there. Now, this is an important feature because it also combos hand in hand. There are no finger stalls to this glove. Look, my no finger stalls. Completely open. Kind of hard to look at, but we do, we do have some photos that we can show you of it. Yes. So what will happen here as you play into the glove and sweat into it, the way their foam works, especially where the fingers are, your hands and fingers are going to imprint actually into the glove itself. So it's not going to create a full finger stall, but you're going to get that glove you know, imprinted gonna... feel. Yeah, and, and I find this really interesting. And this is going to be, it'll be an interesting talking point for people. Well, this is new. This is different. You know, we love innovation at Ingle, and this is a big step for them. So the idea of no finger stalls, what's interesting to me is rather than having your pinky sort of pulled out to the point where it doesn't have any leverage or power, your hand sort of goes automatically where you think you're going to be able to close that glove the easiest. And after one skate, those from the heat moldable foam on the back. Thermo-activated foam. There we go. Thermo-activated foam. Within one skate, you see those grooves form. Mm -hmm. um, glove took a, our glove. This isn't our glove. This is his. It looks the same. We have the same one. To be honest, it took a little more break-in process. But once it got broken in on the ice, you talk about that wrist and the way it's strapped up. There's also a back pad here. So you can really, you know, especially those first skates, really tighten this up to get those, create those finger grooves and create that feel. Just the mobility on it, the ability to sort of turn it and hold it in a lot of different ways is. You, you look at that wrist strap and you actually maybe worry it might be encumbered and it's totally unencumbered. The, the freedom of movement in this thing is remarkable. A little bit of it, there is a thumb loop with a Velcro and elastic adjustable strap if you want to crank that a little tighter. Uh, you can see the backhand of the glove is totally different. It opens up all the way to the top so you can see inside those finger stalls. The one thing that I think is noticeably improved is in the palm. And like in terms of that closure and the way this thing closes, again, maybe a little more break in process than we've had in the past to sort of get it snappy. But once we got it there, remember the old sort of two, you had like basically a channel that ran down the middle, like it was a middle sort of straight line with two sort of breaks on either side of it. That's gone. It's a single line on the brake, extra padding around it. Like to me, this is the best brake they've made. And once you get it broken in and closing, uh, it's a really nice feeling glove. Not everybody's going to love no finger stalls, but I think you give it a chance and you, you mold it and you, and you break it in, you won't even notice it. That's been sort of yeah, the early feedback. Again, not everybody loves it, but man, like I love that closure. 
Uh, I love the way that palm sort of closes. You're way less exposed to stingers on this compared to previous models that has that sort of double straight line. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if Kevin can contain his consignment, I'm clearly Kevin. He's Cam. Thank you for listening to our In Goal podcast here. You can reach Kevin over at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790 because clearly he works here. The amount of description that he's give on this glove is just fantastic. He's obviously excited about it and you should be too. This is what happens when you send us gear early to test and we get out in it and get feeling. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Stay tuned next week. We're going to check out the Axis 2 chest protector. My show, my show, my show. I don't know. I'm Kevin. He's Cam. Thanks for watching. That is just got me drooling. Uh, listen to you guys uh, talk about the Axis uh, 2 line and all the uh, different elements. And and you both mentioned like the, the blocker sound. We, we don't spend enough time on the blocker because it's the blocker, but, uh, but having that, uh, Hutch, uh, just, uh, makes me want to make blocker saves. Uh, Woody, what was, what was it like for you? Well I, well, I would have to actually make a save with the blocker to hear what it sounds like. Might not have had a great night in my first, my first time <laughs> out in it. I did catch a few though. I did, I did enjoy that. Yeah. I managed to catch one in the spot that would have produced a stinger. That's for sure. Oh. Uh, when I handed it off to the next guy, uh, Hutch probably would have noticed too. There's uh, for, he took it over to the Island to get some guys in it. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, the darkest black mark is not in the pocket. It is in the palm and it's right. It's actually right in that spot that in previous generations would have been a risk of a stinger, but, uh, there was definitely no stinger. So I can't speak to the blocker pop cause I'm not sure I made a good blocker save all bloody night. Um, but they have again, rebuilt it right. Instead of a pillow between the sidewall and the thumb, uh, they've added sort of like an EPP molded layer. Um, just like the, the liner on the cushion underneath your calf, the padding that he's in the calf, they've added that into the side of the blocker wall. So by improving protection that way with a thinner, narrower padding, they were able to scale back um, the sort of like pillow type uh, padding on the inside of the thumb. And by doing that, it's still there, but it doesn't have to be as, as firm. It's softer and it's got a much more, it's got a much better flex point on the thumb. So again, that control hutch talks about um, not just the fingers, but with the thumb as well. There's a lot more dexterity there the way they've rebuilt it. And again, because they rebuilt everything from scratch, ground up, they were able to shave weight without compromising performance. And a blocker may just be a blocker, but we've seen it with the Bauer ones, right? Like guys notice that pop and how much easier it is to steer pucks over the boards. And so we're seeing that trend in other companies and CCM's done a nice job answering here. And I was thinking, Hutch, this may improve my stats if I use the Access 2 gloves on Sensorina, Sensorina VR with my reaction time. They just might because you're going to be able to move your hands a little faster. Chris, I just, yeah. I just cheat. I use the controllers without them being attached <laughs> to my gloves because I'm not strong enough with gloves. But I think they could make a big difference. Yeah. We're going to have to get the guys over at Sensorina who love to make everything as realistic as they possibly can. Maybe one day you'll be able to dial in the exact gear you're you're using so that we can get the coefficient of restitution for the CCM Axis 2 blocker and you'll get just the right rebounds. I could see them doing it one day. Woody. Just the sound. I'd take just the sound. You talked about that yeah. sound being unique on the blocker. Let's just have this different blocker pop from different brands. I like it. It is. Um, before we talk about our friends at Sensory, and I just have to say my son, Maddie, we, we're the ones who picked up the gear from Woody because Maddie had tried some pre-production stuff and just wanted to see the difference between that and the new sort of the production release of the Axis 2. 
uh, loves to chirp Woody when he's not around to defend himself. He just looked at the gear, Darren, and he said, did Kevin use this? Kevin cleaned it. Yeah. Kevin cleaned it like uh, That's right. Yaroslav Halak before he sent it over. Uh, That's right. I went, I went, I went full Yaro with the magic markers. So I just wanted to make sure Maddie had clean gear. Yeah. That's my story. In the That's yeah, yeah. 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 It's okay. It's okay. He's a clean freak. That's it. Oh, it's okay. There's no marks in Maddie's in the trapper after Maddie finished with it either. So it's all good. Um, no, over to our friends at sense arena who present the uh, feature interview every week, guys, listen up everybody. Even if you don't use sense arena. I know some of you aren't Sensorina guys. Some of you aren't into virtual reality. You might be checking out as I begin to tell you about Sensorina, but listen up. We've got something for everybody, whether you're a Sensorina user or not. And that is the new Sensorina app, which you can go and download in the App Store today. And it will have content for every goaltender out there, whether you use Sensorina or not. An opportunity to get better with a little bit of daily inspiration from people like Brian DeCord, former NHL goaltending coach, NHL director of goaltending, and now director of goaltending for Sense Arena. And Brian has some videos going up every single day. And it won't just be Brian. Other people will be contributing to this. But an opportunity for you to learn um, from goaltending coaches some just some fantastic content. So really suggest that everybody gets out there and grabs that app. Now, if you are a Sense Arena user, you have to download this app because it's just fantastic. You get access to all of your stats. You don't have to put the headset on. You can sort of open up your app and check out what's been going on as you're planning that day's routine. You can see the newest training plan that they release, and they're doing a new training plan every week. You can sort of do that pre-preparation before you hit the virtual ice in preparation for your training session. And as everybody knows, because you've heard us say it before, Sensorina is probably the best tool you have available to you away from the ice to become a better goaltender. And none of us get the amount of ice that we would like to get. Sensorina lets you get in there, do drills, work on skills, learn to read shots, learn to read plays and power play formations, and even some of that great neurocognitive training from a full section of things in there as well. So highly recommend Sensorina. Highly recommend that you use the code IGM50 at checkout if you do decide to join the Sense Arena crew. But whatever you do, everybody, get out there, download the Sense Arena app today. Our Ingle Radio Listener of the Week is coming up. Uh, but first, we want to get to our feature interview uh, brought to you by Sense Arena. And this is a great conversation, uh, Woody, that you had with uh, Matches Svog. Give us uh, the 411 here. Well, first of all, you did a much better job pronouncing his name than I do as we get started here. I don't know what it is. Like, I got him to tell me. I nailed it. And then as soon as I have to introduce him, I just, it's like my tongue rolls up into the back of my head and nothing works anymore. So, uh, is a guy that I've met uh, in the past uh, at the goaltending symposiums uh, that the network group used to put on with David Alexander um, and Thomas Magnuson from Sweden and Justin Goldman uh, and Mike Valley and, and that group. And so I got to know him at one of those. I knew we had sort of a mutual friend, as you'll hear, in, in Clark, because uh, Mache was in Modo in Anskordvik, Sweden, where the Sirens are from, uh, where Marcus Naslin is from, and Peter Forsberg. And it was actually, as you'll hear, a good story about Marcus Naslin actually bringing him in to work with Modo, just as he hired Ian Clark from their time together with the Vancouver Canucks and brought him in to work with the goaltenders there. So this is just a guy who I've seen present and every time I talk to him, um, just I learn something about goaltending. As you'll hear in this interview, uh, some of his influences also include Eric Grandquist, who we see a lot now on Swedish television, and you can follow him on social media, um, but used to be a, a goalie coach in Sweden, or more focused on the goalie coaching side of thing, and more on the 
the holistic and and sort of whole person side of things. So some really good insights there. Just this guy's just as you're going to hear, this guy's just a real student of the position, student in the game. He works for the Red Wings as the European goaltending consultant. Um, and we use the fact that he just won his first gold medal championship in the Swedish Hockey League with Fariestad, uh as an excuse to finally get him on the podcast. So it was really fun. We talked for close to an hour. Uh, and I think uh, our audience is going to enjoy this as much as I did uh, doing the interview because it's just it's just goalie geeks. We're just talking about every aspect of the position. And uh, this is a guy who I think, if given the opportunity, could do a hell of a job over here in North America. Not something we talked about in this conversation, um, but something I think we need to start talking about more. Some of the great European goaltending coaches. Maybe uh, Maybe it's about time we saw some of them get an opportunity on this side of the pond if they want it in the National Hockey League as well. Enjoy. It's the feature interview brought to you by Centurina on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Excited to welcome to the In Goal Radio podcast, someone who I've gotten to meet a couple times over the years and heard a ton about from other goalie coaches, both in Sweden and over here in North America over the years. I'm probably going to screw up a few pronunciations, but I would, I, I'm really happy to introduce to our In Goal Radio podcast audience Maje Schwo. Close, buddy? Close? Not really, but we'll work Damn on that it. someday. Okay, we're going to work on it. Um, from Fardiestad and the Detroit Red Wings, European goaltending consultant with the Detroit Red Wings, SHL Swedish Hockey League champion for the first time with Fardiestad, just coming off it. So how's our, uh, the celebrations I saw looked pretty good. How the last few days, how's the last week been? How excited are you? Congratulations. Uh, well, thank you, first off. And it's been uh, an unreal couple of days. You know, we were flying back home. I think it was uh, landed at 2 o'clock. And right outside the uh, uh, the airport, it was just packed with people, uh, people cheering, uh, you know, all through that. To uh, uh, We celebrated with the fans on the square. And I I, I honestly have no idea how, my, how many people were there. But it was a fun couple of days, fun to spend it with the kids. Uh, and uh, obviously you know, be with the boys, but, uh, now I'm starting to get a little bit tired to be honest with you. <laughs> now, um, for those that don't know, walk us through geographically where Faryastad plays out of and, and sort of what, like what tight, like how big a city, how big a crowd are we talking here? Cause I think over here in North America, we lose sight of just how important events like this are, um, to the communities where, where the, where this is the team, this is who everyone grows up, not just cheering, but I love the word supporters when it comes to European hockey, you know, we're talking like in some cases, probably generations where that, 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 that fandom is passed down. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Karlstad, uh, which is the name of the town is, uh, about 90,000 population. I haven't gotten any official numbers of how many actually showed up there at the square, but I think it was about 20,000. So, uh, it was pretty intense. They, um, you know, this is a, a very classic organization. This was the 10th gold overall. And, um, you know, we're expected to win every single year. This is a one of the bigger organizations in Sweden. And it's been a powerhouse for years and years and years. And now it took us about 11 years since the last gold medal. So people were pretty happy and excited about it. And I, I keep referring to it as a championship. I forget that, yeah, it is a gold medal. I see the golden helmet. I've seen guys painted golden over there. Um, so do you actually get a medal as a coach, much like you would say at an Olympics or world championships? 
Yeah, I have it. Uh, it's uh, safely at my place uh, right now. So I got a golden helmet and a, a a gold medal. So that was that was pretty good. I I I was not paid in gold, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing that's tough to get out of some of those spots. <laughs> well, when it comes to the gold one, I I wouldn't really know because uh, it's the MVP of the playoffs that gets that. So usually that's not the goalie coach. Uh, but uh, I'm sure it was a fun experience for Pat. I think it would be nice if we started giving MVPs to goalie coaches. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty cool. But it did not happen in this case. So walk me through, walk me through the title run, walk me through the goaltenders you're working with. I know you've got, you know, and these aren't names that maybe necessarily are household yet over in North America, but I know, you know, you've got one who is a part of this run that that could very well be when we head to the draft here in a couple of weeks. Walk me through your season, fill our audience in, just open ended on the on the guys who played a big role in this and 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 how it kind of played out for you. And then I want to get into some nitty gritty of goaltending and trends and things that you're you're seeing over there and seeing over here. Absolutely. So it was a pretty uh, intense year, uh, considering the fact that I had four goalies to work with. We started off with Jesper Elias and, and Henrik Halkeland, and then we acquired a Czech goalie named Dominic Furch, who's been playing in the KHL for years. Subsequently, Henrik chose to leave the organization, and then uh, we had a coaching change and we had a GM change. So there was a lot of things going on. Uh, before Christmas. And then um, after Christmas, we kind of decided that we have this very excited junior goalie named Dennis Hildeby. And he was just recovering from from uh, hip injury. Uh, and uh, we decided that yeah, we want to give him the chance. And, you know, his, uh, his first couple of games were very impressive. Uh, he played in front of a packed house over here, 8,200 people on a, on a Saturday night against Trelunda, and and he had a shutout. So, he deserved that opportunity to be the backup. And, uh, and you know, uh, it was Dennis and Dominic that carried carry the way down the road. And so, and so when you say you, when you brought him up, like, give me, give me an age here. Cause like when you say, I know he's draft eligible, like, are we talking first year draft eligible? No, 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 no. Okay. So a little uh, bit older. Yeah. He's, he's born 2001, if I remember it correctly. Okay. Okay. But still an option for the draft this year. I just, cause I, I like, it's, it's impressive regardless. Right, like that—that that he's able to step into that role. Like that's really an, an impressive feat. But probably would have been even more so if we're talking about an underager. Yeah, but I think I think he earned it. Uh, I mean, he he was recovering from his double-sided hip impingement uh, surgery, and I would see him all the time when I went went to the rink. Uh, either he was working out to get back, or he was on the ice, or he was doing rehab. And in fact, that was one of the biggest worries I had when we promoted him is. You can't be doing two days all the time as a pro. So uh, I've been literally dragging him off the ice or from the gym just to get him to understand that, you know, higher standard on on a pro level actually requires rest as well. Uh, an important message there as well. So um, and, and heading into the playoffs and how things went, where were you guys going into it? Like we were a team that everybody was looking at or given the amount of turnover and and it sounds like a season of adversity and ups and downs did you guys go in with lower expectations and get on a run here well in august everybody was saying that we already won the gold since we recruited a lot of uh, uh key pieces to the team and then we struggled throughout the year and that that's the reason why we made those changes as an organization and then i uh, we ended up in sixth uh, going into the playoffs and uh you know we kind of got together as a team, uh, really worked hard in, uh, in the defensive end uh, and, uh, you know, started playing better. Special teams, uh, PK were better. 
it's easier for goalies to play then. Uh, all of a sudden, we're scoring a power play, and then, you know, things kind of unfolded after that. Okay, so Mache, I want to get in. I think that was closer, right? That was really good. <laughs> okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I was just nervous the first time. When you overthink it, right? It's like being a goalie. I'm trying to overthink the pronunciation, and I butchered it's it. It's simple. All right, okay. So um, give me a little bit. Of, let's, let's get into the background. Let's let, let our audience over here get to know you a little bit. Um, your history as a goaltending coach, what got you into it? I was first introduced to you at one of the network goaltending symposiums. I think we were in Nashville at the time. Uh, I know we have a mutual friend in Ian Clark. You spent some time at Moto uh, as a goaltending coach when he was there. Uh, and in a, in a small world sort of moment, I just spent last weekend with him at CCM as you guys were just celebrating your championship. So all these things come together for this interview. What's your background? Did you play goalie before you went into coaching? Or are you one of these guys who, like, where did the passion start for you? Playing first and then into coaching? Yeah, I, I did play, but I, I stopped playing at the age of 21. I kind of realized that I'm not going to play in the NHL. And at that time, I was uh, studying at the coaching and sports management uh, program in at the university in Bekhe and just asked if they needed a volunteer. And uh, three years later, uh, I was asked by Victor Faust to uh, to help him out in the, in, the, in the men's team. And then, you know, things started to unfold. Um, uh, he did an excellent job and got promoted to, to the SHL. And uh, all of a sudden I'm in moto working with Clarkie for four years. Um, and that kind of led to, to the, to the job with the Red Wings and a bunch of other stuff, the national team uh, and, and, and so on. So it seems like I've been lucky and fortunate to meet the right people at the right time and spots been, you know, became open. And that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the background story. So as a transitioning from goalie to goalie coach, once you decide to make that switch, I find it interesting that you're talking about university and, pro- and a program there as opposed to just being like, hey, I used to play goalie and I'm going to be a goalie coach. Now, obviously, that probably still happens over there, but is there a different process? I mean, we've heard so much about just the amount of work that Sweden has done to uh, help educate and, and build an army of goalie coaches, like them build more goalie coaches and you get more good goalies seems to be the philosophy where did your path fit in with maybe other paths around you in Sweden in terms of making your way up to the SHL and the education process? Well, once I stopped playing, uh, you know, that was after my first year at the university. I, it was kind of a career decision too. I wanted to pursue that. And I remember my dad was laughing at me because he didn't think it was a, as a proper job. He's not laughing today. But um, uh, no, I, I mean, back then, every team in the SHL did not have a goalie coach. So it was kind of unfolding. And, and you know, Thomas Magnusson did an excellent job of building a program. Uh, I was kind of fast-tracked through that program just because of the studies I did uh, at the university. So uh, I followed, I, I guess, the same path and then just tried to you know, go wherever I could become better. I um, studied under Eric Ronquist uh, at the time when Jonas Gustafsson had his big break as the monster in, in Färjestad. I met so many great coaches that has helped me, you know, along the way. And, you know, you talked about Ian Clark. I think Clark, has been one of the most important goalie coaches I've ever uh, had the chance to work with. He influenced me so much and I'm so grateful for, for everything that he did for me. You mentioned studies. Um, can you share with like what, like what it was that uh, you were doing and studying that that sort of blended and led into this path? Are there there some things that obviously applies to goaltending? Well, I I mean uh, the program which I went to 
is not specific that you actually become something after you're done. You, you have to find your own niche. Uh, okay. So I divert everything I did. Every paper I wrote was towards, uh, uh, towards goalie coaching, how to uh, become a better coach or how to uh, structure uh, different things. So, you know, everything I did was kind of aligned with that. And I was bugging Thomas Magnusson all the time with different ideas and thoughts, uh, you know, how can we become better? And, you know, it was all through educational systems to, uh, to educating myself as a, as a, as a, as a, as a coach, uh, or even learning how the human body works. So everything was directed towards that. Can you maybe help us out with the timelines, right? Like, is that, I, I'm looking at sort of your, your LinkedIn page and looking at the times, but maybe help our audience out a little bit too, especially when you talk about like, Maciej, when you talked about no um, goalie coaches in the Swedish hockey league, the problem here is you look so damn young still that nobody's yeah. going to believe when you how long you've been at this. So give us some of the timelines. Well, uh, I've been doing this professionally for 15 years now. Uh, I have not turned 40 yet, uh, turning 37 here in, uh, in a couple of weeks, actually. And I believe I got to double check this information because I, I don't want to lie to you, but I, I, I believe everything started back in 2007 or 2006 for me. That, that's about when they've got your, your goaltending coach certification listed. So that, yes. that sounds about right. Yeah. So, so that was roughly the first couple of years where, you know, they were giving out certifications. So I just threw myself into that and, you know, wanted to do that as, as quickly as possible. Yes. 2007 was my, my first year coaching. All right. And so, and then the timelines and, 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 with the teams, with with Moto and the transition, you you mentioned Victor Foss. You mentioned a chance to work with Eric Gronquist. Is there is that when you when you go through this all? Is that just a all good examples of the openness and the collaboration mindset? Like, does that still exist? And was that a big part of it in the early going? Has it continued that concept that we're all trying to get better together? Uh, even though oh, yeah. I'm guessing at times you're competing with with other goaltending coaches once we you know we get into uh, the SHL season, especially. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously during a, a a final, maybe you don't sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about goaltending. Uh, but throughout the year, you know, there's conversations going on all the time. We have our own group chat with all the goalie coaches in the SHL trying to figure out. Uh, rule changes, for example, or how we can pre- protect goal- goalies better. So it's a unified group that w- that is working along one another. And then I think, much like any people, uh, you have a better connection than uh, with certain people than with other. And we do share a lot. We talk extensively about goaltending and you know what influences us or what works and what does not work. And then, I mean, everybody has. I think you're entitled everybody to have a little bit for yourself, but there's definitely a very good culture over here. And again, credit to Thomas Magnuson for, for being the guy that kind of keeps everybody together and make sure that, you know, we're all in line and understanding that uh, the way that Swedish hockey and goaltending can evolve is together. And that's, you know, to me, that's the only way. How'd you get started at Moto? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking you actually, I wasn't sure if Ian was there first and you, or you guys arrived together or you were there first, but I know obviously you built the relationship there. He speaks very highly of you. Um, how'd you end up? It would have been around the time Marcus Naslin, I'm guessing, came back from North America and was working as a general manager there. Manager there. How'd you, how'd you get started up there and, and walk me through that process and that relationship and, and what Mache was as a, as a young coach and how you evolved during that time? 
oh my god uh, i was 26 at the time so it seems like ages ago uh, so what happened was I had the fortune of being promoted uh, with Vekhoa to, uh, to the SHL. And at that time, I was given an offer from Moro. And uh, one of the things that uh, Marcus, uh, who recruited me, was talking about is that he has this really, really good goalie coach that he wants me to work with. And I was given the opportunity to, uh, to come over to, to North America and see and experience the culture, experience uh, the hockey side of it. And... Uh, uh, the, the the first couple of times it was it was pretty ner- nervous uh as a young coach coming from a lower league all of a sudden you walk into the locker room and there's Marcus Naslund and Peter Forsberg and what have you not and then the next time you fly over and and all of a sudden you're on the ice with uh, Sergey Bobrovsky and just you know I was uh, I did not say that much uh so these are all experiences that were you know, invaluable to me. But I think uh, the most important discussions that Clarkie and I had was not on the ice. It was just sitting down and talking about hockey. And, you know, he's been, he's been great. Uh, he was extremely open, uh, shared so many good things with me. And the, those are the things that, you know, I've built my own coaching off today. So uh, I can't, I, you know, I can't thank Ian enough. And you're with Moto from 2011 to 2015, looks like roughly before going over to Faryastad, and and also at the same time in 2015, starting with the Detroit Red Wings in a consulting role. Walk me through both the transition, what led you away from Moto uh, to Faryastad, and and also how the opportunity presented itself with the Red Wings. And you know, not to ask too many questions in one, but that's a habit of mine. Uh, <laughs> what the what the gig what the gig entails, and and who you who you work with directly. I'm guessing Phil Osier is a part of that, and. Um, they seem to also, in a way that maybe slightly mirrors Swedish hockey, have built a department that has a lot of sharing and a lot of openness and a lot of communication. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I love being a part of the Motors. It's a, such a classic organization. Uh, but one thing that happened during my years at the university was we were, we were supposed to write a paper about our dreams. And what I specifically wrote down was I, I, I want to work in the SHL and I want to work for, for Firestar because I had the experience with Eric. So when the opportunity came, um, we had two small children. Uh, it was easy for me to, uh, to get closer to family. Uh, my family is just three hours away. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that, that became a very um, easy transition. And then at the same time, uh, Tyler Wright left uh, the Blue Jackets, who I met during the years that I was there with uh, with Clarkie, and he asked me to come aboard with uh, with the Red Wings, and I've been there since uh, since then. Now, um, and I, I was going to say, I guess geographically too, like uh, when you're with Moto, that's uh, Orange Cold Week. I probably butchered that too, but Ovik is, I mean, what if I remember the last time it's like 600 miles north of Stockholm, so you're you're up there pretty good and probably away from yeah. a lot of things. The, so more it, family decision. It was more of a family decision, but it kind of got, got aligned with, you know, the, the hopes and dreams that I had and, and the ambitions we had as a family. And, you know, it kind of fell together perfectly. Now, hopes and dreams. I mean, because now you've like, where does, I mean, you've won a gold medal with the team, you, the hopes and dreams team. Does that come from, like, are they a team you grew? I, I should have asked if that's where you were from originally and a team you grew up cheering, or was it mostly just about that relationship you built early on with Eric? I think a huge part of it is, is the relationship with Eric. Uh, I mean, three hours away from where I grew up, so it's pretty close. And then obviously, uh, uh, you know, Firestar has always been an organization that aspires to be 
uh, a top organization and wants to build stuff and be ahead of the curve. So give you know to be a part of that, uh, it, it was a no brainer for me. Now staying ahead of the curve, can you give me some examples? Because obviously we geek out on on goaltending and whether it's technique or you know I, I, presentations that you know I've seen you give and and talk about over the years, like cutting edge and looking for new ways, things that I've always associated with Swedish goaltending. And I know you've been a big part of it. Can you give me, without giving too much away, some of the examples of ways that you've tried to stay ahead of that curve over there? Well, I think one of the things that we were pretty early on and working heavily on uh, was analytics. And obviously that comes into to goalie analytics as well. Uh, but also, you know, um, these are more on the technical sides of it. As a, as a goalie coach over in Sweden, you're doing lots of more things than just co- coaching the goalies. And, you know, given the resources that we can do and, and just build uh, some of the things, uh, for example, our video platform, uh, which we use together with Huddle, has grown immensely. And, and we're able to do some really, really, really cool stuff with that. But that, that doesn't necessarily have a lot to do with goaltending, but it, it, it simplifies my job as a goalie coach. So for instance, instead of me tagging all the games, now I can, you know, grab stuff from a third party and just float it into, to sports cars, which, which allows me to work with goalies a lot more than I, you know, should have, if I wouldn't have that opportunity. What about the role? Like how, where does uh, you know, we've heard from goalie coaches over here, obviously up, right up to the NHL level and from all over the place in terms of you know, being a goalie coach, as you said, isn't just about goalies. Um, how involved are you on so whether it's PK or power play or, you know, how we create offense as a team and how much of that is tied to, obviously, you work with your goalies, but you learn what works in terms of scoring on whether it's a specific goalie or just generally. How involved do you get to be in those types of things? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to our offense, uh, our forwards coach is one of uh, one of the better scorers, goal scorers in, in Swedish history. So he's he's got a pretty good, a pretty good coverage of that. But we've worked very hard at our defensive game. And one of the things that fires that was cutting edge with back in the day when Jonas Gustafsson was here and, that, and it, it makes my job so much more easier today is that we build our defense uh, you know, on the skills of the goalie. So how do we help his deficiencies? Where do we put our defensemen to to uh, to help him out? So a lot of the things that we do is based upon goaltending and then the structure from that. So, and especially on PK. So I work really closely with uh, our uh, defensive coach, Tomas Rudin, and uh, obviously with our head, head coach. Uh, but but it's it's pretty cool to be involved in the process in that way. Okay, so now can you give me some examples without giving too much away? Maybe it could be historic examples because I gotta say, like I love that. I love hearing that. And when you talk about being ahead of the curve, man, is that ever? Because maybe there are some teams that do that to an extent, even over here. But for the most part, it's this is how we play, and tell the goalie how we play, as opposed to let's look at the goalie strength and weaknesses and build out how we play based on that. I, it seems, as a goalie guy, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's clearly not, it's, and it's refreshing to hear that somebody's taken that approach. So if there's any examples you could give me on, again, without giving anything away, but how you may have altered something in the past because one goalie did something differently than the other guy, and do you actually get to the point where the differences sometimes between a starter and backup are enough that you need to make tweaks? Well, it's not usually between a starter and a backup. I think uh, 
uh, I've, you know, we both heard Clarky talking about the recipe of a goalie. And first I have to figure out that recipe and understand, you know, his strengths and weeks and weaknesses. And then after that, you know, kind of building and helping out and making the team understand what helps out and what doesn't help out, I think. Or I find that a lot of the times defensemen, uh, especially uh, get in the way of the goalies because they're so ambitious and want to want to help out. So one of the things we did in the Kaleftio series was making sure that the D's just held up and made a huge effort to, to make sure that we never had a screen because they had a set play. So we just said that, you know, let, let's let the goalie handle that, that shot from that particular position and then no traffic and no, no rebounds. So I think that, that the areas that we needed to cover were extremely um, uh, straightforward. Uh, so it was pretty easy when we saw the play uh, from up top or whatever on video. It, you know, everybody knew exactly what to do and, you know, it helped out the goalie. It gave stability and security to the defensemen, and then you know we could build confidence from that. Do you now are the goalies involved in those conversations? Uh, whether it's at the initial stages or do they get worked into those conversations as you start to build out those plans? Always, we always have these discussions at the beginning of the, of the year, and I think that's a huge part of building the relationship with the goalie to make them understand that you are a part of this process as well. Then obviously. You know, as a go- as a coach, you you have a say, and somewhere along the line, there you know somebody makes the decision. But we we discuss that a lot, and we have a very open climate in our in our locker room. So you're allowed to speak your voice. Maybe you won't get you know everything that you want, but th- there's for sure a lot of communications. You know, from the start of the year to the end of the year. We've seen over here the trend towards goalie departments. I mean, you're a part of it with the Detroit Red Wings, obviously. Are you, or is the job over there? Like, are you into the, into the weeds with the scouting as well? Or do you have other goalie coaches you work with that are say working with the junior team or, or, or working with at other levels of the program? Like, are you also coaching coaches uh, and coaching scouts as opposed to having to do it all yourself? How, is there a balance there between the two? Uh, you know, organizations over here are pretty, pretty tight. Uh, so at this moment, we are two uh, goalie coaches employed at, you know, full time. Um, I handle everything on the pro side. So anything that, you know, falls on underneath that, that's my responsibility, whatever, you know, and it, in, it comes down to scouting as well, uh, making sure that, you know, we are on top of free agency and, and stuff like that. But, you know, here's where I think that uh, the symbiosis between the what I do with the Red Wings and what I do with Firestar, they really connect with one another because I can, you know, Dennis Hildeby was a, a goalie that I scouted extensively uh, in preparation for the draft. So we really knew what we were getting to our junior program. And then uh, Daniel, who was in charge of our junior program, also works with the youth program as well. And then we, you know, we try our very best to, uh, to share information with, uh, with the region. How have we seen? How's the position evolving there? How's the game evolving over there? Because usually the position has to evolve in reaction to the game. It's on my bucket list to get over and visit you guys. Pandemic has gotten in the way here, but definitely Ingol Magazine is making a trip to Sweden during the SHL season so we can, you know, get a peek behind the curtain at, at just the atmosphere, which every time I see it, I love, but also how you guys go about your business because it's you're obviously doing a great job. But how's over here, everything's become east-west. The game's become so dynamic. Lateral attacks. Goalies have had to hold their feet more. What Are you seeing similar trends there in terms of how teams are trying to score? And what 
trends have followed from the goaltending perspective in terms of how you teach it individually at Faristad, but also are we seeing any changes nationally? Because I know those are ongoing conversations. The way Sweden sets up its goaltending, it's never stuck in one mode for too long because you guys stay on top of it. Well, I think I think uh, I do see a trend. I do see uh, goalies because uh, traditionally Sweden has been very strong at building a, a game plan, a structure, and uh, very technical. Somebody even has called it Swedish robots. Uh, and uh, I think the game over here is evolving so much more. I think uh, players are more skilled, uh, as you said, East-West plays. Uh, so holding your feet is, you know, extremely important if you want to play, play at the top level, not, you know, not to mention playing in the NHL. Uh, so I think that, you know, staying on your feet has, uh, has become so much more important. I think a lot, te- a lot of the teams are involving their entire staff and their defensive structure a lot more. So it becomes harder to get into those uh, scoring areas. Uh, so you kind of have to be a little bit more creative with, with that. And then also I do see a lot of uh, more goalies that are breaking from structure and, and you know, just fighting for loose pucks and fighting for um, the athletic part of the game. And uh, if I go back a couple of years, I, 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 you know, I find that it was more uh, drop and block and, you know, just handle the first shot and uh, it doesn't cut it anymore. You have to, you have to do a lot more than that. Well, and at the same time though, like, Structure builds a foundation. It builds consistency. So I'm guessing you got to find that. Ba- like everyone, every goalie, you have to, in every part of the world, there's a balance to be found. From a national coaching perspective, when you when you talk about, you know, that, that I, I don't know, I'm trying to find the right word, uh, Mache. Um, stereotype a little bit that started to creep, you know, that, like that, you know, we've mm-hmm. even had, I think it was, um, I think it was Linus Elmark had, had, when he was on the podcast, talked about he thought it had become a little too structured at times when he went back. Uh, like, when you hear that, what's your reaction to it? Because like I said, structure can also be- build a great foundation in terms of being in the right spots and movement and proper technique. Where, where, where are you at on the sliding scale there? I'm, I'm guessing this is a conversation that happens over there. When people, when you hear that phrase, is it offensive or is it, does it, it, does it mean self-reflection? Well, again, uh, I had the fortune of having these conversations years and years and years ago with with uh, with Clarkie. So um, I think I've always tried to find balance in everything. Uh, some very smart person, I can't remember if it was a goalie coach or, or uh, a goalie, told me that, you know, um, structure will carry you over the course of the regular season. But instinct and athleticism wins you cups because... Somewhere along the line, the goalies have to be uh, the game changer, the, the one that makes that extra save. And I think uh, Linus is a great example of that. I had the fortune of, of working with him in, in Moto. Oh, right. You know, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, boy. I mean, talk about a smart uh, goalie that understands both sides of it. Uh, so I think I always try to find balance in both of them. It's a tough one because do you worry if, too much of one gets taught at too young an age, we, we lose some of the other. Like, is that, you know, is that part of the debate, part of the ongoing conversation? Like, yeah, hey, we want that foundation. We want that structure. But is there a risk of coaching it too much too soon where they don't, it can be tougher for them to find, not find them. I'm really struggling for the right phrasing here. They don't 
have to develop their own instinctual ability. They're not on their own. Maybe sometimes too much hand-holding and, and sort of do it this way at an early age might sort of lose some of that natural instinctive ability. Is there a way to balance those two at earlier ages? Is that part of the equation? I, I, think, I think that's extremely important. Uh, and every time I go to a coaching symposium, uh, you know, regardless of where I'm in the world, um, I kind of shy away a little bit as soon as I hear the phrase I want, uh, because really it's not about what the goalie coach wants. It's about what the athlete wants. And um, children grow in so many different ways. Uh, they evolve in so many different ways. And, you know, it's the same with goaltending. I think too much guidance uh, in the beginning actually takes a little bit of the fun away from the game. I mean, uh, my biggest inspiration as a kid, now I did not make it to the NHL for starters, but uh, we had a, a weekly show, the NHL tonight, where, you know, all the biggest goals and all the greatest saves were shown. And I, I remember I was laying down, you know, in the living room and trying to make those saves. And every time we played play street hockey, I, I wanted to be Dominic Hasek or as cool as, you know, Marty Brodeur or, or what have you not. And I think we need to inspire young kids to be athletic as well uh because if we you know if we set boundaries too much uh they will never experience you know those things that nobody even you know taught us and you know again coming back to linus i think linus has taught me more about goaltending than any than any goalie because he's constantly reflecting uh, reflecting about it and we would sit down in video sessions and he'd just tell me did i did you see what i did there and you know he would pick up something and you go like, man, that's super smart. I've never thought about that. So um, to me, it's never about what I want as a goalie coach. It's about how can I help the athlete. It's funny because I, I, I find that I focus too much on technique sometimes in these conversations, but or when I'm asked about goaltending as well, like in, maybe because like I'm not as advanced as, as guys like yourself who, like you said, you have to see the complete athlete. You have to see every part of it, right? And for me, looking from the fifth level of the press box, I was going to say the 30,000 foot view, but yeah, in some buildings, quite frankly, it's like that. Technique is what I can see. You're trying to build, like you said, the complete athlete. What are some of the things that you try and do when you're, when you're looking at some of the kids in the junior program or working with the goalie coaches in the junior program to encourage that? Is there any advice you can pass along there about, about how we find that balance, whether it's in Sweden, in North America, anywhere in the world? I think one thing that is extremely important to learn, whether you're, you know, a goalie coach or a young player is that nothing is for free, uh, nothing in life. I mean, looking at my own career, I did not have a great playing career. I did not have a, a you know, a great connections or knew basically anybody. Uh, I had to work my way all the way up. And that's one of the key lessons I think I, uh, I try to learn everybody from, you know, players to coaches that, uh, you know, you really have to be a hardest worker on the on and off the ice. And I think you've heard that before. I might have. I might have heard that from from one yeah, of the guys we've been talking that. about here. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. And, and then and then I think, you know, everybody finds their own path uh, yeah. in that sense. Um, but but, you know, the, the hard work, you can never compromise with that. Well, we've talked a lot, I mean, and just because there's a mutual relationship there, and I know you had a relationship about Ian Clark, but talk to me a little about Eric Grantquist, because you talk about wanting to go back to Faryastad and the impact he had. 
Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy who, you know, I know is very well regarded over. I know he shifted over to more of the TV side. I'm not sure uh, how much he's still actively involved coaching goaltenders. He's actually a guy we'd love to have on the podcast as well. So shout out, Eric, if you're listening to this one, uh, hit us up. Um, what, uh, like, t- just talk to me about the impact there. Cause without getting to know him very well, I mean, the, the sort of outside perception that I think a lot of people had of him when he was coaching is very much about the whole athlete, very much about the mental strength, very much about, um, finding that balance. What are some of the lessons that he left with you that have clearly impacted you significantly as a coach? Well, I mean, if, uh, if Clarky is on one end, then Eric is probably the, on the other end uh, of the spectrum when it comes to uh, personalities and, and, and coaching philosophies. Eric is extremely focused on the, the human side of it, that, the, you know, the entire, he's very philosophical. Uh, so he taught me not to limit myself into technical things or maybe things that don't matter as much, more on understanding and seeing the person that, you know, you have in front of him so you know if if you would grab uh um you know mic me up during a session and then listen to what i said this year to dominic Fuch and the same drill talking to dennis hildeby that would be two different conversations but about the same thing because the different things are triggering different people uh, and that was one of the biggest lessons i've uh, learned from eric that understanding personalities and the needs of a person uh, in front of you that I can't speak the same language to every person because they won't understand me. And, and, uh, that was, uh, that was pretty interesting to see, uh, on the ice, him working with Jonas. I love that. Cause everybody, everybody learns different, right? Like it's one of the reasons like oversimplification, not comparing what you do at all to ingoalmag.com, but it's one of the reasons, even though we run the video where the coach talks over a drill, we still type out his quotes and put it there because the thought process of having both in the same story, we've had people say like, why don't you just put the video out there? I just want to watch the video. And the response is, well, some people learn differently. They want to read it and process it that way and then watch the video. Everybody learns differently. It's not just about coaching technique. It's about being a teacher. And it sounds like you guys have really grasped that. Yeah. And I think, I mean... um... If we grab these two guys in, as an example, Dominic is, is uh, you know, an, an older experienced guy. Maybe you keep it a little bit more relaxed, uh, more laughs. And then in between, you kind of slide in different things and communicate about certain things that, you know, uh, I think we should do this. Or what do you think about that? And, you know, keep it more light uh, as to Dennis, who is still learning to be a pro, maybe you need to be a little bit more firm with him and, you know, set the boundaries and say, Hey, that's not good enough. And I know that, I know that you can, you know, do better. Uh, and, um, you know, sometimes I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on the ice. Uh, but, uh, uh, but, uh, I think doing, doing this now for, for an extended amount of time, I've, uh, I've learned to, uh, I've learned to enjoy that part as well. Well, it's funny. I mean, not to, put a process to it but i know like for example steve briere um well he's not allowed to talk to us anymore but back when he first started with the maple leafs and when we had conversations he would actually had a personality test that he gave them just so he so he could identify and he knew his how his personality tests were so he could make sure he sort of matched how each guy you know would react to his traits and make sure he tailored it guessing it's not that formal for you but is there like how do you get to know these guys to know 
you know, I guess part of it is over time, what buttons to push and when, but like, do you have meetings outside of hockey when you first bring in a new goaltender, for example? Is it important to get to know the person and what's your process like on that? Uh, Coffee. Coffee. (laughs) Uh, So just to give you a little bit of background info, uh, uh, Call started. Uh, we have a, a coffee provider here. It's called Lovebase. You know, it's uh, highly. Uh, it's been working with the organization for fifty years. Uh, so uh, Lovebase has been a huge part of it. So we're we never run out of coffee uh, in the locker room. But I usually go for a walk, and I grab a cup of coffee, and uh, you know we talk, and we talk about you know all aspects of life. Um, you know from uh from childhood to uh you know what what they like or dislike and uh, you know how do we handle days because you know when you have success things are easy it's so easy everything just works but more often than not when you go into the grind uh, months of you know october november december and half january before it gets light over here i think it's extremely important to know one another and know how to speak to one another because sometimes i have bad days and, uh, you know, I'm just a human being. So we talk a lot about how to handle those tough days. And, uh, you know, uh, what works? Do you want me to, you know, literally kick your ass? Do you want me to uh, give you a hug? Uh, should I just leave, leave you be? Uh, I remember having the same conversation with Victor Faust. And, you know, he told me that when I'm frustrated, I don't listen. So just leave me alone. I'll come to you when I'm done. And he did. Now, can you imagine if I would have start of, uh, started to chase him uh, in a situation like that? It's, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, so we have so much discussions and questions early on in the year just to find, you know, information for me. And then, uh, then usually I grab a cup of coffee and just walk around in the locker room just to see how they interact and what works and what doesn't work. So, uh, uh, coffee is a big, uh, it's a big word. Uh, I love coffee. It's a little bit stronger over here. Uh, but, uh, that's, you know, that's how that process starts. Oh, well, as soon as you say coffee, I now know what, no matter like whenever we finally, this pandemic gets to the point where we're comfortable coming over and spending some time first stop is with you. Cause I'm, I'm all over the coffee and the walk. My friend. <laughs> I like, I, I, that sounds great to me. And what a great philosophy as much as, uh, I, I think, it's an ideal. I think most goalie coaches would probably admit that the ideal is to get to know their goaltender. I, you know, if you don't go out of your way to set the stage for that conversation, I mean, how many goalies are probably just too intimidated or shy or wouldn't be comfortable telling you how to handle them unless you came and asked them and did it in an open-ended conversation where they're encouraged to just tell it how they feel. I, I just love that concept. And yet, my hunch is there probably isn't a lot of it that um, that goes on. Not, I'm sure some do, but probably not as much as I'd like. I love it. Well, we always establish kind of a, I don't know if safety words is is uh, is is the best way to uh, to use it or or talk about it. But uh, at times where I'm not sure if you know they're ready for feedback, I always ask them, and they are fully entitled to to say no because you know sometimes things are going on in their minds and sometimes they don't just don't want to listen but i also make it extremely clear to them that at the end of the day i'm your boss 
which means that when we mean, mean business, we mean business. And I think it's, I think it becomes more powerful if you get pissed off or mad or really um, strong or firm in your authority a couple of times a year than every single day, because then people stop listening. So, so they always have that, you know, security that right now I'm too pissed off at the coach, the drill, myself, my girlfriend, or what have you not. I don't want to listen. Uh, and then I come back in a couple of minutes when, you know, when they're ready for it, because the job needs to be, needs to be done. Yeah. And there's no point banging your head against the wall when they're not ready. And the fact you're willing to wait till they're ready to an extent probably, you know, is appreciated. I would imagine. Yes. Uh, well, I, I hope so. And, uh, I found that to work. Uh, but again, you know, sometimes I need to lay down the hammer as well. Uh, but that's when, you know, it's needed and they deserve it. Well, we've talked about, we've talked about style. We've talked about the evolution of technique. We've talked about building the whole goaltender, but just to bring it back to technical and style wise, as much as you see it shifting over there as well, and goalies reacting to it shifting, I sometimes ask goalies that I don't know, or that I'm just getting to know, or we have on the podcast for the first time, how they would describe their style. I think we've gotten a good taste of your teaching style, your coaching style, and who you are as a person. Is there a goalie style in terms of how you teach? Is there a technical style? Are there non-negotiables? Or is every goalie so new, unique you can't really do that? Well, I don't think I can do that. Uh, because you know, just looking at the goalies I've had in the organization here for for the past couple of years. I mean, Justin Pogge played a certain way. Uh, Marcus Swenson, who was a, you know, 34 year old veteran when he came to us, played an extremely athletic and aggressive style. And then you had Adam Werner, who was, you know, uh, he was a quiet technical goalie. So again, you know, to me, it's about understanding their game. I just, the only thing that outside of being a professional, the hard work and, you know, those types of values uh, and obviously the compete level. Uh, I think versatility is the word. Uh, understanding that there's no one way to stop a pocket, that you have to understand that there's different things that we need to do. And to me, the way to be versatile is through skating. So we do a lot of skating work, a lot of skating work to make sure that, you know, we're mobile on our feet. And then somebody wants to play with a higher glove. Someone wants to play with a lower glove. It doesn't really matter to me if you want to play toes in or toes out, you know, we'll, we'll work with that, but you have to be able to skate and carry that distance. And you got to be set and square when you're, when you're there. So I'd say versatility and skating are two very important parts of, of, of the way I teach. Have we have we seen the skating evolve as well? Um, there was a period there where skating for goaltenders was all done in the crease. It was all crease movement pattern work. Have we we've seen that evolve? Whether it's goalies just going out at the beginning and you know working on their edges, is that part of the evolution you're seeing there and have been a part of there as well? Yeah, but uh, I'll tell you what, um, carrying the distance is more more the important part. So as soon as you understand what your in zone depths are. Uh, now that we work inside that frame or a little bit longer just to be able to to work on that. I'm, I've seen so many different examples and I think there's so many great co co coaches out there, but usually we stay a little bit more inside the crease because that's okay. our area. Uh, so that's where we tend to be uh, and that's where we tend to, you know, grow our game from. 
carry the distance. Define it for me for those that hear that phrase and we've heard it a couple of times. And it's obviously, it's important um, for what you guys are doing. Can you just help define it and, and help explain that a little bit for anybody that heard that and thought, I'm not quite sure what he means? Yeah, so carry the distance for me is, you know, being able to to actually travel from point A to point B on your depth. So whether or not you're a goalie that plays very aggressive or a, a super conservative goalie, you got to be able to, you know, hit your depths every single time you move in the crease. So whether or not you're playing heels out or toes in or a little bit further in, uh, when we tailor the skating, it's always to make sure that you can go that dif- distance and make sure that you can stop and be set uh, for the shot or maybe a little bit more to be able to to handle that. What's next? Uh, I just looked at the clock and I realized how long I've had you and the fact that it's really late over in Sweden right now. So I feel really bad about this much. But what's, like, what's next? What, what's the rest of the summer like for you? I mean, like you said, the celebration got a little tiring. Take a deep breath. What? But what's the next? How does the process work for you normally? I'm guessing there's draft preparation. Don't want you to give anything away in terms of what you do with the Red Wings. I probably already asked too much about that, but um, how does the rest of your summer work out? And when do you guys start getting back on the ice and gearing up uh, for next season? Well, off ice practice starts here May 30th. So we're pretty pretty close. Yeah. So uh, guys are going to get back here pretty soon again. And now we have some time off and I enjoy that. Um, You know, I'll be starting to prepare for the next season. Obviously the draft is a, is a huge part of that. And then, you know, we get get going August 1st again. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not a lot of time. So I'll be focusing on getting ready for the season and then spending time with my kids. Uh, I have barely seen the, the, them the last couple of months here. Well, I'm sorry for cutting into that time and cutting into this probably some well-deserved sleep time as well. Um, I did want to ask one more though, because I always do. You mentioned off-ice um, and that you're right back at it at May 30th in a team environment. Um, how have you seen that evolve? What's the focus there uh, from a goaltending perspective? How has it changed over the years in terms of the, you know, the type of physical literacy you're trying to build in your athletes? I think that's a very interesting part um, where couple of years back, every goalie did the exact same thing as, you know, the team was doing. And then it kind of shifted towards being only goalie specific. And I think, or what we have found is, you know, working together as a team in a team environment is extremely important. Now, I'm fortunate to, to have a couple of uh, strength and conditioning coaches, which means that they tailor you know, everything that the goalies need, but we do that within a team environment. So we don't lose you know, the concept of being a part of the team, because I think, you know, uh, living and breathing and sweating to get together with the guys is equally as, uh, as important as, you know, getting ready uh, physically. So some of the stuff they have to endure, they do it together with the team, but maybe they switch out at some different things to make it more goalie specific. So we make sure that we do a lot of stuff together as a group but tailored towards uh, goaltending and you know they're doing a fantastic job of that so i'm i'm just asking for this is what we need and then they provide it anything changed in terms of when we look at hip health and some of the issues that have plagued goaltending you know I, you know you said you got the group chat to talk about you know protecting goalies in the crease in a season with all the shl coaches any steps you're seeing that that you know maybe even trickle down to the younger ages through because i know it's all club systems and the work you do there to help goalies maybe, you know, last a little longer before the issues inevitably start? 
And that's, you know, again, a huge credit to Thomas Magnusson, who did that, you know, big study uh, about hips over here in Sweden a couple of years ago. Uh, I Over here, we work really closely to our um, uh, medical staff. And that's actually one of the uh, questions I ask every morning. How's your hips? How's your knees? How's your ankles? And then we tend to stay away from the post work as much as we can during the season because, you know, they do it so much in practice uh so rarely we spend a lot of time on that um and then you know prehab rehab warming up on and off the ice uh, i think is a huge part of it as well so uh, we do we do talk about it we are trying our very best to do a better job and i think the group chat we were talking about is help the league understand what could potentially happen with goalies. And I think the league has done an excellent job this year of protecting the goals in the right way, because we want goals. We just don't want injuries. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Um, so many, so there's, there's more I could ask. There's more threads I could pull on Macha. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it is getting late there. I guess that just means an excuse to have you back on when I finally make my way over there. We'll do this in person one day soon. Um, congratulations, my friend on, on the championship, the gold medal, sorry, not the championship, the gold medal. Um, and all your success over there. And thank you so much for spending the time. I know so many people listening to this, parents, young goalies, pro goalies that listen to the Ingle Radio podcast are going to enjoy. I, I'm, I can't wait to see the feedback. We get it all the time. And I know there's going to be a ton of positive stuff on this. So congratulations and thanks so much for the time today. Thank you so much. I'll be happy to have you over here in Sweden. You're more than welcome. I'm going to hold you to that. You guys, uh, you guys got some chemistry. Uh, that, that was good. Like you continue on, and Metchesville is fully engaged in every little bit. And it was a really late at night, so I got to thank Macha for uh, staying up. And uh, uh, like I, I want to say, by the time we, I don't think it was probably after ten thirty Swedish time back back where he is in Sweden. By the time we started, um, so a really late night, but a really enjoyable conversation. And we're not going to we don't use the video, but I don't think he rolled his eyes at me once as I kept going with my infamous now one more, one more. I think it led into three or four more though. So thank you to him for his time. Um, I think that's just a sign of fascinating answers that create more questions, yeah. right? So his answers were great, and I just wanted to keep the conversation going. Definitely a guy we're going to have on as a return guest, and who knows? Maybe we'll have him on as a return guest, and we won't be introducing him as goaltending consultant for the Detroit Red Wings. Maybe we'll be introducing him sometime down the road as goaltending coach for a team in the National Hockey League. I think he's got that level of just just gravitas and expertise when it comes to the position. In my mind, I have this comparison with uh, Metz's folk is Jeremy Swayman, who I wasn't familiar with until he came on the Ingle Radio podcast and now look where he is. And I bragged to everybody. I knew about this guy before because of Ingle Radio and Ingle Magazine. Uh, and and Jeremy Swayman's like running the 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 goaltending in the National Hockey League. He's so powerful and and with the Boston Bruins uh, and so presentable. And matches full. Like I feel like in 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 a year, a couple of years, he might be the same same level here. Hutch, what do you think? Uh Sure, Darren. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, without the In Goal Radio podcast, Jeremy Swayman would probably be applying his trades in a lower exactly. level minor league somewhere. And and really, ah. he owes his career to Kevin Woodley. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you else get, to say. 
I don't think that's what he was saying, but I will say this, <laughs> like uh, on 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 matcha. Um, you know what I enjoyed the most? Like we got, we got into a little bit of the technical stuff. We talked a little bit about how the game's evolving over there compared to how it's evolving here and how the position has to answer. Um, but to me, um, one of the most enjoyable things and the enjoyable part of that conversations was when we, we I asked him about the influence of Eric Gronquist, who, like I said, very much more about the holistic side of things as well as a goaltending coach. But then when we got into how he builds a relationship with these guys, coffee and walks. Yes. I love I loved that answer. Long coffee and walks and the importance, goalie coaches, of getting to know your athletes as a person, getting to know how they learn best. Are they a visual learner? You know, like is video gonna work best? Do they does you just need to bark out some drill instruction? Like there's there's just such a a more complete approach. And I'm not pretending like he's the only one that does it. There are a lot of goalie coaches that are good at this. But I think um, for some, it's probably a valuable lesson. Not just... I love that he didn't just say, yeah, you got to get to know the athlete and and know them as a person. But he he told us and was willing to share how he does that. I just thought it was a great sort of insight into his approach. And um, it was one that I think there are probably people listening, whether you're... Even if you're a parent or a volunteer or whatever goaltending coach, um, there's value there, like remembering that these athletes are people too, as opposed to just little technicians that need to change how they plant their backside leg. Um, there are a lot of other things that go on in their lives that uh, will help uh, help you determine how to get them to plant that backside leg where you want it more often, more consistently. And it's not always just the drill work and the on-ice stuff. Uh, for those uh, really hard and uh, attuned listeners of Ingle Ray to the podcast, that was the hotel chair that squeaked, not uh, not anybody's back or hips or shoulders uh, on, oh, on the panel here. Those are squeaking too. So just, so they are, but but they're not as audible yes. <laughs> as, as the hotel chair that uh, that, that Woody's on. Um, I want to get to the listener of the week, but what's going on at Ingle uh, Mag right now, uh, Woody? Uh, definitely check out that Axis 2 review. Weekly pro reads continue to go up. We might have a few bonus episodes. Guys are some of our longtime sort of goalies uh, that have contributed to that have been out of obviously the playoffs now or they're been out. And so we've got some sessions set up to finally get some, not finally, but to get some new voices in there. So we might roll out some of the guys that we still have episodes from. We'll roll out a few bonus ones here in the next couple of weeks. Um, keep an eye on that. Uh, did some stuff with Ian Clark when we were in Montreal. Hope to be able to roll that out in the near future. Uh, continuing the series uh, with Seamus Kotick. I think we're up to part seven on that. So never any shortage of things to look at in the InGoal Radio or InGoal Magazine, InGoalMag.com. Make sure you go through the archives, folks. If you're annual subscribers, if you've joined in the past year, even in the past year, that means there's an entire year before that of content that you can go check out. Um, Movement stuff with Carrie Price, uh, post work with Roberto Luongo. Like the, The archives are so deep now. Um, for our new listeners or our new subscribers, a reminder, you can dig through them and sort through uh, all those old drills at any time. And chances are, uh, there'll be some fresh ideas for you. Hutch, the Seamus Kodak series is like, not groundbreaking, not earth shattering, but it's so useful. Like it's just the foundation of it from, from one to seven is fascinating to me. Yeah, every, every time we put up a drill, we're sort of stuck with that I don't know, uncomfortable feeling like, is it hitting the right audience? And we, we know that there's people out there just dying for the latest, greatest, most intricate detail of technique to be thrown into a drill. Of course. But I think these ones have huge value and we're starting to get feedback from, from readers because 
these are things that you can take onto the ice tomorrow and make something happen. And I've always loved that piece. When I do an interview uh, on the show here, when we get to meet somebody somewhere, I will always want one little tidbit that you can take away and put into action the next time you go out there and skate. And that whole Seamus Kotick series gives you some things to work on the next time you go out there. And sometimes we take it for granted. We just sort of assume somebody's growing up in the position and they've totally. had access to all kinds of coaching. And let's face it, most of our audience is out there and they've strapped the pads on maybe for the first time in the last few years. Maybe it was 20 years ago, but they haven't had coaching and they haven't had resources to learn. They're just out there playing and having a blast and learning on their own and watching things on TV and trying to implement them. And now we got some guys, professional level coaches, taking some very specific skills and giving you the opportunity to get on the ice and try them. And you don't have to have a practice. You don't have to have a coach. You can literally go to the local public skate and stand in a corner and try some of these things. You know, Woody would. In my case, the West Edmonton Mall. I was there yesterday. They have an ice rink in this thing, man. And I was like, I'm going to go out and do some, I'm going to go find some gear, go do some Seamus Kotick crease movements and see if I can embarrass the living hell out of my daughter. I'm going to be out in the West Edmonton Mall doing Seamus Kotick crease patterns with five pucks and pads. And you don't even need gear, Woody. It just needs skates. Woody, you're, you're a dad. Uh, we're all dads. Uh, it's, it's not embarrassing enough if I don't do the full gear. Yeah, well, well. Y- you don't have to do that to embarrass the kids. They're already embarrassed of us. I think it's just, that's just the, the, the way it goes. No, the, 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 the uh, intricacy of the simplicity of the Seamus Kotick series is, is what gets me. Like, it's all great. And it's all simple, but there's it. It's it's not obvious until you watch and you go, "Geez, I, I should do that." Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I encourage everybody to go about it. Paul Lochner, uh, the uh, Ingle Radio Podcast uh, listener of the week, uh, he's got a whole bunch of uh, stuff uh, online from he doesn't like danglers, he loves the chesties uh, and the arms uh, bulk up uh, over the course of the years. Uh, bootstraps, though, uh, Hutch. He, he's interested in bootstraps and the value of bootstraps. Is it something we should we should look at? I think it might be something we're going to defer to Woody because he's the resident gear geek with how we form fits function. You know what? It's interesting because uh, we've seen a lot of guys go away from the bootstrap. We've seen a lot of companies go away from it. Like on the Axis 2, I think stock comes without, but you can, you can order it with uh, two different options behind the heel or under the skate in terms of the angle it comes out from the pad on. Um, I do think there's an element of, of personal preference to this. Uh, I've been on the ice with NHL goaltenders. Uh, I remember Eddie Lack uh, when he was still playing with the Canucks, um, being on the ice in the summer and talking about having ankle pain and like quite literally saying, you know, like a lot of guys are taking that bootstrap off. There's a little bit of tension there. Maybe that would be enough to free it up. And he's like, yeah, but my bootstraps, this is the common one. My bootstraps so loose that it doesn't cause any tension anyways. And then you go on the ice. I'm like, well, let's see. And you go on the ice and he drops into a butterfly and you can see that as loose as it was, there still is some tension. So that's the first thing to check to me. Like if you're having ankle, any, any tweaks or pain down there, um, and you think, oh, my bootstrap's so loose, it doesn't make a difference anyways. Actually get into the butterfly and see if it's pulling on anything. Uh, that's the first step. He took it off then, uh, during that skate and never went back for the rest of his career and didn't have the same sort of tension in his ankles. So that's one checkpoint. Others, though... Like, I think for me, sometimes when we're testing pads, maybe because we get pads that are ideally for a goaltender who's six or six, six foot or six foot one, and I continue to shrink below those thresholds as I age and have back surgeries that remove discs. Damn it, Maddie always, Hutch's kid always chirps me for shrinking. Um, but I find some of them, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe that pad is shifting up and you're not hitting the knee stack 
exactly where you want to. Right. Um, or maybe that pad's a little too tall for you anyways. The bootstrap's a great way to sort of secure it at the bottom so you decrease that movement. Again, I really do think it's a personal preference thing. It's one of the research things that CCM with Ryan Frain has been looking at. Does the bootstrap affect the pad getting to the ice faster? So that's one of the research projects they're looking at. Um, I think for the most part, though, it's just, do you crave that freedom of mobility with the ankle without any restrictions? See guys like Carey Price taking it off? Or is it something where you need that to improve your connection to the pad? That's, to me, the biggest question. And and for parents who are buying for kids in minor hockey who are going to grow for a little bit, that that idea of the bootstrap uh, keeping the knee stack, it it might buy you uh, some extra time, even though the, the pad's in great shape, but the kid keeps growing. Yeah, absolutely. And it give, gives you opportunities to pull it up, to pull it down. I mean, there's the difference between under the foot and the Lundquist loop. And uh, I think it gives you the opportunity to explore all sorts of things. And absolutely, I'm all for anything that would uh, make it better for parents. Uh, Woody, uh, thanks for doing this on your world travel. I uh, look forward to the t-shirt uh, that says uh, Vancouver, Surrey, Montreal, Edmonton. Uh, hopefully we don't have too many listeners in Edmonton hearing this right now, but um... I've been here five days. I'm about to go Chris Pronger on this thing. Get me out. Ouch. That's just because you're stuck in a hotel room. It has nothing to do with the yeah. lovely city no, of it's Edmonton. A, it, it's a beautiful sunny day, actually. Uh, it's it's gorgeous here today. And so we had a good time at the... It's because I'm stuck in the West Edmonton Mall with a bunch of teenage girls. Hunting. I go every summer to Edmonton to Eli Wilson's goaltending camps. And I absolutely love being there. Look forward to seeing you soon, Edmonton. Woody might not like you, but I love you. The comments expressed by Kevin Woodley do not represent Ingoal Radio, Ingoal Radio, the podcast, or Ingoal Magazine. He is uh, just handed to you by our to, attorney, uh, Darren. Speak, uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, thanks to everybody for stopping by. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, from the gear segment with Cam uh, to uh, Matcha Svo and the feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena and to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, awesome stuff. And to you guys, uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. And we'll be back next week on Ingoal Radio, the podcast. 